you're listening to the Bossy Bitch Podcast with Elsa Mitchell. Come along with me as I explore all the remote corners of Australia, uncovering success stories from women killing it in business. I'll inspire you, teach you, and best of all, make you laugh by sharing their journey and mine so that we can grow together in life and in business. Mom, have you seen my pants? Right, get out of here with the podcast. Welcome to episode 30 of the Bossy Bitch podcast. Today I am chatting with somebody, I feel like she might be a bit of a celebrity in the Kimberley and don't go blushing, Felicity, when I say that, but <laughs> if you live in the Kimberley up near Broome and you're into fashion, you'll definitely know Felicity Brown. She is the girl that always has a cool heart on her head and a big smile and she has a pretty cool story. Felicity, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, Elsa, thank you so much for having me. And yes, I'm blushing. <laughs> it's a, it's a it's a big big claim, but you, you really are the height of. I'm going to keep saying fashion, and it's going to annoy everyone. But um, <laughs> you are Felicity is a milliner, and I had to keep saying, is it called a milliner? And I said, as opposed to millionaire, yes. <laughs> This is what a lot of people, particularly men, say when they ask, what do you do? <laughs> and, um, and it's true because a lot of people are probably like, what the fuck is a milliner? They are. Don't you worry. What is a milliner? So a milliner is a hat maker or a, a, a maker of beautiful headwear. Traditionally, it was headwear for women, but, I mean, we make headwear for men and for women, for queens, for kids, for everyone. Yeah, well... That's because we are all so diverse and inclusive now. So milliners are for everybody. I'm imagining that there aren't too many milliners in the outback of Australia. Well, you'd be surprised. There is a few of us here, which is fantastic. But, yes, we are few and far between. And can you I, – I just want you to – I mean, we've got a lot to talk about today because you're, you're more than a milliner. <laughs> There's so much more to you than just hats. Um, (laughs) But I wanted to first start with your story about how you came to live in Broome in Western Australia and how you came to be a milliner. And just for everyone listening, I met Felicity. I'd heard about Felicity because, you know, you're kind of a big deal. Um, when I was up in Broome at the start of this year of 2021 doing the Women in Leadership Forum, Felicity was another one of the speakers. And before I went up there, I was talking to some people I know from Broome and everyone's like, oh, my God, you're going to love Felicity. She is so good. Um, <laughs> so can you just share with my listeners your story about how the fuck you came to live in Broome and how the fuck you came to be a maker of hats? Absolutely. That would be my pleasure. Well, how I came to be in Broome is by Subaru Brumby Ute on a solo trip around Australia. Pretty much the same story as everyone else who's landed in Broome. But I'm from Ralston in New South Wales. Um, we're from, my family are still there and we are sheep producers, fine, super fine wool and merino, wool and um, super fine wool and meat. And I grew up there, went to Sydney to boarding school and then back to the bush. That's the story in itself. However, I ended up in Dubbo 
And I ended up, would you believe, Elsa, working in politics, which is hilarious. My dad always said I'd make a good politician. And just for the record, I too grew up on a sheep farm and went to boarding school, which is why you and I must click so well. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so that is another story. But, yes, so I was working in Dubbo, travelling to Canberra for Parliament sittings, And, you know, living a very fun life of amazing friends. We were all renting. Um, We had lots of fun. We were going to B&Ss every weekend. We were living the dream. Hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's take it back a notch. Are you trying to say, tell me that your life in politics was fun? Oh, no, that was outside politics. (laughs) (laughs) Glad we cleared that up. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And living, yeah, I had a really comfortable life, I guess is what I'm saying. I had a good job um, and a job that even though it was not um, always known when how long the, the term would be, you know, it was good for its time. And, look, I was comfortable and I kept talking about when I go around Australia. Anyway, I have this great friend who's a male mate and he just kept saying, you're not going around Australia. And I was like, absolutely I am. And he said, look at you, you've already paid off your ute that you bought to go around Australia. <laughs> your ute. <laughs> and, you know, you are going off partying with everyone every weekend. You're not saying, you know, where's where's this trip around Australia? And he really challenged me. And to this day I am so thankful to my friend Tucky because he. On your Tucky. I know, right? We're going to make sure he listens. He was the one who basically said, okay, you're going around Australia. What date are you going? I'm going to hold a party for you. So I, I, he, he pushed me into a corner and I said, Easter, I'm going at Easter. And so in Easter 1994, I drove out of Dubbo in my little Subaru Brumby ute, petrified scared. <sighs> I was on, you know, I was on my own and I was like, what am I doing? Why? And, you know, Lucky Wolf Creek hadn't been released yet. I know. Because <laughs> I did get there. Am I going to say that? <laughs> I drove, um, I crossed, it was when I crossed the New South Wales border into Queensland and it was a really poignant moment. It. I, I I had my tape deck blaring with a yes. cassette in there. Roxette. <laughs> it's James Blundell, would you call <laughs> James Blundell. And, and as it happened, when I crossed the grid into Queensland, he sang me across there in a, with a, one of his songs that was about crossing the border into Queensland. So I was like, okay, this is the message from all my mates up there who didn't get the chance to uh, – to do any such amazing things as Travel Australia, I'm on the trip of a lifetime. And honestly, when I crossed that grid, everything changed. I had the biggest smile on my face. I just felt a The wind in your hair. Oh, yes, I did because I didn't have air conditioning. That's right. <laughs> You'd wound down the windows of the Brumby. <laughs> and I just screamed over that border. So... <laughs> That's um, when the adventure really started, I say, because it was then that I felt the freedom I was meant to feel. 
And it was all about getting it into perspective. You know, if I stayed where I stayed, I'm sure I still would have been happy, but it would have been a completely different journey. All my friends were getting married. I was going to weddings. And I was like, this is, there's so much more yet. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. other things I've got to do. So it was about getting it into perspective. And really for me, that was getting on the road. And there is no better way to find yourself than to pop yourself on a solo trip around Australia. So I started in New South Wales, I worked my way through Queensland, ended up in the Northern Territory um, and inadvertently from there I ended up spending the best part of 12 months on a remote stock camp, cattle stock Amazing. in the middle of the Territory Desert with a crew of a really fantastic crew who, you know, have become part of very, very special part of my life and who would have ever thought? You know, I was, um, yeah, living out there. With Question, no have you seen Yellowstone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it wasn't like that. <laughs> it wasn't, like, wasn't anything like that. And let's <laughs> remind you, this is 1994. You know, we, we don't even know about, we've still got CB radios. We do not have a mobile phone. Anyway, you wouldn't have had coverage out there. So. There was no such thing, which is actually quite good as Facebook or Instagram. So I Isn't had- it funny how quickly we forget that stuff wasn't back then? Like it's the same and uh, I'm sorry to say this, okay, don't get mad, but <laughs> in 1994 <laughs> I was still at boarding school <laughs> and we didn't have mobile phones, we didn't have internet, we didn't have email and actually I too went travelling when I was 21 um, to Europe by myself for six months. So I completely resonate with what you're saying, except for when I got on the other side, I didn't have a big smile on the wind of my hair. I was crying like a little bitch in Heathrow <laughs> Airport, terrified <laughs> and wondering what the fuck I had done. But um, <laughs> it is incredible how much we forget that we didn't have social media, we didn't have emails. You know, I don't, we, didn't, we didn't even have mobile phones, you know what I mean? Like it. It was really, it was a, a different time. And, yeah. you know, but we were never late. We always, and even when we travelled overseas, I, if we said we were going to meet someone in um, Cairo, we would be there. Yeah. If we said we were going to meet them. There was no, like, planning anything or keeping in touch via messenger. It was just, I'm going to be in Cairo on the 22nd. <laughs> yeah, I have a similar story of being in a backpack as I'd met this girl, Julie, and oh my God, this is where I wish we'd had social media and stuff because I lost touch with her and I, God, I can't remember her last name and oh my God, we just fell in love on this trip. And I remember being in a backpackers somewhere in like, I don't even know, maybe in Italy or something and I could hear her downstairs going, hey, does anyone know if there's an Elsa here? Is there an Elsa staying here? And I've come running down the stairs like, oh my God, what are you doing here? And she's like... I wanted to come find you. I figured you'd be floating around here somewhere. Well, see, that's how we used to do it and it worked. And it was so like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're here. And then, yes, off we kicked off for another few weeks, you know, and old school. Old school. It was great. Yeah. So, anyway, there I was um, travelling through the um, Outback Australia. Look, I, I did kind of do a few 
visit celebrity guest appearances, we'll call them, in cities, but they were very quick. They were so yep. I literally fueled up and got out because it was all a bit scary. I'm <laughs> going to quote my dad here, fucking city people. <laughs> He's right. But, look, <laughs> as I think really this is, this is where the Hats by Felicity journey began because as I was travelling around, you know, I mentioned before we love a good B&S, well, we also love a good picnic races or a good country race meet and so races were always and still are to this day the highlight of the social agenda for outback regional and remote australia so 100 percent, absolutely so i was going off to all those races of course and wherever i was working the the hype was all about getting ready for the races but it was then that i realized there was a there was a real problem for women in Outback Australia to have access to beautiful millinery. They were always wanting to get dressed up for the races, but, you know, they would also be working right up until that moment where we'd call it the day is over, we'd jump in the car and we'd drive to the races. So there was no time and there was actually no internet. So there was yeah, no- it's not like you'd just jump online and order yourself a frock and get that express delivery within two days like everybody no. does now. There was none of that. So what I ended up doing um, was everyone kind of had a hat of some description, so I would just alter the hat. So I would sew and glue and we'd just have a bit of fun and it always involved wine. It all, you know, it always Yeah, of course. Actually, it would have been weird if it didn't. <laughs> if I was real. Um, but, you know, we always had a bit of fun and people would collect little bits and bobs along the way because they knew I was doing it. And it really did grow back from those days of just altering everyone's hat. So the women had something to wear that was different from last time they wore that hat yeah. to the races and they could and it's all it's about them feeling great and feeling fun. There's nothing worse when you, you get there and everyone's, you know, dressed up and you're not because you were mustering cattle, loading cattle, whatever. It it's yeah, yeah it was about everyone feeling great and just being a part of the the, the social event and, you know, participating at their best because <laughs> let's be honest even outback women mustering cattle want to feel beautiful and chuck on a nice frog from time to time and don some fabulous headwear you know absolutely and there's so many different directions we can go off um, with that but but really yes yeah, so I think it was what I learned I learned a lot about myself in that little Subaru Brumby and gosh, <laughs> I miss it. I wish I kept it. But anyway, you do, you find yourself. One thing is you really find yourself when you're just hanging out with yourself. Because even though I was staying at different places and, and working at different properties or in different towns, there was always those big, long distances that we are in Australia to yeah. be driving on your own. So there's a lot of time to find yourself. And, and that was one of the greatest things about embarking on this journey was I found myself, you know. I wasn't influenced by everyone around me. And, you know, my, as my kindergarten report and probably school report said, easily influenced. <laughs> I think mine said a similar thing and probably I should stop talking so much. <laughs> but I think and also it's about it was about listening, like, I really heard a problem that maybe if I hadn't have listened hard enough, I wouldn't have identified. And 
And I think that's what small business is. It's about hearing a problem that people have. It's identifying the problem and it's really working out a solution. And oh, that is well said. My solution was to, you know, alter the ladies' hats. So there we have it, you know. And, and, and ultimately I made my way um, after prizing myself away from the Northern Territory, which, believe me, I could have got stuck there too. Um, I ended up in Broome, which was a pretty amazing place to end up in. And ironically, the first night I got to Broome, my new friends said, come on, we're going to this fantastic concert. We got in our utes. We all had (laughs) utes. And we drove onto the lawns of the Cable Beach Amphitheatre, which is hilarious in itself because you don't do that anymore. No, gosh, no. We parked the back of the utes and we grabbed our eskies and there he was, James Blundell. Oh, my God. The concert was there. I know, right? So I did say if I found anywhere that I loved more than home, then I would make it home. So 26 years later, here I am sitting in Wow. So you're actually a local because um, what I've been told, I've asked around a fair bit, it's 15 years before you can call yourself a local. Oh, that seems- I might be getting close. Well, I am close then. I'm a local. 15. You, did you say 26? I did. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. You're like the queen. You're like the queen of the locals. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. So that, that, had, that, that was me. That's, that's really how I got to Broome. And then when I got to Broome, ladies kept sending me their hats or ringing up and saying, can I send my hat to you? Can you fluff it up and get me all sorted for the races? So I kind of got here and... When it, my, it, my first reaction was, I don't do that anymore. I found civilization. But then <laughs> quickly after that, I was like, do you know what? Maybe, maybe there's something in this. You know, I've always, I loved doing it. So I thought, well, I actually looked into courses for millinery. But at that stage, there was nothing online, of course. And I had to move to Melbourne. And I'd only just found Broome, so I had no intention of moving to Melbourne. But I also had no intention of that being the end of the story. So I went down to this beautiful um, Kimberley bookshop. I don't know if you've been there, Elsa, but it is such a such a precious part of Broome. And Marie Gamble, who now owns it again, was there at the time. And, and Marie basically sourced books oh, that's for me. So cool around the world on the basic techniques of millinery so I could get myself started and then my thought was you know maybe I'll end up back down near Melbourne and I can pop in and do a course but of course I didn't leave Broome so (laughs) once you're in so I just taught myself in the beginning yeah sometimes it's the best way to learn it really was and then um and then you find your own techniques. And of, with me, it was always about, because I'd done this when I was altering everyone's hats, it was about utilising what you could find. And um, and sometimes people would just be like, hey, Flick, I just found a dead bird on my doorstep. Like, how's about you stitch it into a hat? That's what happened. And believe me, again, we've got another story in a different direction if we want, but yeah. <laughs> It's funny because it's true. (laughs) Very true. It's very true. Seriously true. But 
one of the moments I really do remember incorporating the wild feathers into my hats was when my beautiful friend Emma, who was working at Yida Station, she came in with these amazing feathers, which were the whistling duck feather. Oh, my gosh. I know, right? And they were seriously the prettiest little feather. And she just said, we've got to do something with this. You've got to do something with these. And so we did. And then from there... The feather story has grown beautifully and um, and I will say at this point, Elsa, that I have all the correct authority to collect feather issues. <laughs> <laughs> no, because we don't wanna we don't wanna start any activists on your doorstep. No, no, the state government have actually approved me and I can use feathers for the purpose of millinery and sale. So and the federal government have been really supportive too. So for for when I travelled overseas, making sure that the feathers are all, you know, as they should be before they leave and enter country. So I've worked really closely with government coming from that government background to make sure. Oh, my God. just that, And I'm glad we kind of went there because um, it's just something that no one would probably ever think of that, you know, oh, you make hats and then it's like, hang on a second, then there's this whole other yeah. having to get government approval and then travelling internationally. And, yeah, yeah it, it's like oh, so many things in life, there's so much to it that it people is. would never even have imagined. Yeah. So, um, and, yeah, so then the journey just I, I started learning. I loved it. I absolutely loved it from the moment I opened the first book and I've been hooked ever since. And then, you know, fast forward to now where we have online courses, I have a, a strong part of my business is making sure that I educate myself in at least one new millinery technique a year. So I train with the Australian Hat Academy and I I just, I still continue to love it and love it and love it. And I'm about That's to- so amazing. And can we talk a little bit about your international travelling because... Um- we know uh, you must I don't know do you ever get sick of telling that story no because do you know what it's a really beautiful story and it's got a very big message I think so and it does actually start with a bit of a challenge which um some people close to me know and that was a melanoma so maybe it was driving that little Subaru you <laughs> the arm out the window <laughs> Who knows? We'll never know. But actually, it was Valentine's Day 2013. Wow. <laughs> Being a person who's never celebrated Valentine's Day, I actually won't ever forget it because no. that was the day I had the first surgery um, for my melanoma in my um, top of my right arm. So that was in Perth and then back in Broome I ended up having to have a second surgery because the lesion was actually a, a, a bit nastier when they got it out and put it under the microscope. So anyway, I had the second surgery surgery that I had for the melanoma really kind of affected me both physically and a bit mentally and emotionally, if I was honest. So I couldn't do the simple things in life, Elsa, like open my wine or pop a bottle, pop a cork. Yeah. I couldn't brush my teeth. I couldn't. The most important things in life. <laughs> pop a cork or open a wine bottle. <laughs> I know. I couldn't do it. And then my teeth. I couldn't brush my teeth properly because I was so hopeless left-handed and I, 
I really was struggling and I actually I wasn't allowed to drive and I was working for the agriculture department at the time and I had a big role my a big part of my role was driving and I wasn't able to drive I wasn't able to do a lot of things and I got really nervous about how this was affecting me mentally and I made a very big decision very early in on that journey which was I needed to find something to divert my attention I needed a project that I could do which was exciting and I decided to organize myself a trip overseas because I love traveling Mm -hmm. and any excuse but we all know that half the fun is in the planning yes so I decided right I'm just going to focus my attentions on planning this magnificent journey. And then I was like, where do I want to go? Well, I've always wanted to go back to the States and I wanted to go to New York and I wanted to go to Fashion Week. So I just Googled when was Fashion Week and I just started coordinating this massive, awesome journey to America, Um, San Francisco, to New York, to Nashville, to Texas, all my favourite things and it was so exciting. It was such a great thing to do and um, then when I was researching about Fashion Week trying to get a ticket, I realised you can't actually just get a ticket to Fashion Week. (laughs) What, you can't just jump on event, Brian, and book yourself a ticket? You can't just go. How weird. (laughs) I, I must have thought. Anyway, in the end I thought, well, you know what, I'll be in New York when Fashion Week's on, I'm sure there's going to be excitement everywhere that I'll be able to immerse myself into it all and, you know, it, that then became a minor part of the journey. So in 2013 September, I was on the plane and I was landing in the middle of New York City. I was in Times Square. I went off to the tennis, to the Australian, to the US Open, sorry. <laughs> US Open, I was right in amongst it. And I was staying at this beautiful hotel for three nights in the middle of Times Square just to do it, you know, just to do it. And then I had a little Airbnb booked down in Soho afterwards. So I'm in Times Square. It's so busy. I don't know if you've been there. Yes, I have. It's crazy. Imagine it, you know, you've got all these Mm -hmm. people past you dressed up as the Statue of Liberty. You've got these crazy cowboys with chaps and no shirts and everything's just mental. And and, and, and a big part of New York City for me was I really wanted to go to a show, you know, And, and when I left Australia I was asking all my mates, you know, what should I go and see? And they're all saying the Lion King. So I had this thought in my mind I'll get to New York City and I'll go to the Lion King. And then when I got there, I realised The Lion King was one of so many shows and the more I learned about those shows, the more confused I got, was The Lion King for kids, was it, you know, (laughs) so I thought I'll just go down to the concierge. They'll be able to help me. So I went to the concierge line and this is really, this is the turning point in my life because this is where I was present I was standing behind a group of really the ultimate the rudest Americans you can ever imagine mm-hmm. six of them three couples and they were drilling these girls at concierge they were so rude 
my first reaction was that I would remove myself and just go to the bar. And then I made the conscious decision to stay there because it was so horrific the way they were treating these women that I wanted to be the next person that these women dealt with. Yeah. I, I So I stayed there and I let me tell you, Elsa, they dragged those people out. They were dragged out by security. That's how bad they were. It's disgusting. And these girls were in tears and it was a really, it was a terrible situation. So I stayed, obviously kept my distance. <laughs> You're like, damn, I knew I should have bought a gun. <laughs> the US and here we are. So I was the next person to walk up to the concierge desk and these women, no joke, they dust, dusted themselves off, looked at me, smiled with these big beautiful smiles and said, how can we help you? Hmm. And I was like, oh, you dolls. And I, I said, you look, I really want to go to see The Lion King. I want to see a live show, but do, do I see The Lion King or is there something else that I should go and see? What do you suggest? And this gorgeous girl said to me, um, is it your first time to New York? And I said, yes. She said, you must see The Lion King. I said, done. Can you book me into The Lion King? And she just burst into tears. Mm. Why can't everyone be that easy? I said, I know. I saw it all. It was terrible. And, look, I was trying to channel my (laughs) – I was trying to, at stages, be funny and channel my best Julia Morris moments. (laughs) Look – I was just, you know, I didn't know how to make them feel better, but I all I knew is I just wanted to make these girls feel better. Yeah. And, and then, of course, she's burst into tears again, and so I'm trying to be funny but trying to be, um, I was just trying to make it better. Anyway, she said, um, leave it with me, I'm going to book it. So she rings to book me and she's talking to the guy and, and I heard her say, can you get her a really good seat because she's really nice. Mm-hmm. And so she comes back and she said, look, we can get you in today, but if you want to wait till Sunday, we can get you a seat, you know, right at the front. And I said, oh, I'll book me in on Sunday. And then she just burst into tears again. Oh, my God. Just like, and <laughs> she was so traumatised. She was so traumatised. And anyway, they were, she said, look, is there anything else I could do for you? And I said, you know what I really want to do? I really want to go to Fashion Week. <laughs> <laughs> well, since you asked. <laughs> so her name was Melba and at this stage Melba, just, oh, she was laughing with me. She just said, look, everybody wants to go to Fashion Week. We've tried everything. We just can't. And I said, look, you know, I know that. I was just being cheeky. And the other girl, Colette, was on the phone and Melba said to me, you know, Colette is going to Fashion Week. And I was like, dirty dog. How dare you? <laughs> and then um, she gets off the phone and I said, Oh, Colette, I hear you're going to Fashion Week. And she said, oh, I was, but um, I've now found out that I'm working. I said, well, clearly, <gasps> clearly you're resigning. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, oh, no. And, and we laughed. Oh, Felicity's trying to get a, um, a seat to Fashion Week and blah, blah, blah. And she said, look, at time to t- from time to time things do pop up. She said, why don't you leave me your card and I'll just see what I can, what I can do. No, leave me a card and if I hear anything. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. So I gave her my card, at which she looks at my card and she says, hats by Felicity, are you a designer? And I said, yes. She said, you should be going to Fashion Week. And I said, exactly. (laughs) 
And she said, look, I don't know if I can do this, but it says non-transferable, but I'm just going to email these people who have invited me and tell them that you're taking my ticket to Fashion Week. And I was like, what? Oh, my God, and you didn't even have to blow anyone. What? <laughs> and I said, what is going on? What, 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 is this, what does this mean? She said, you're going to Fashion Week. And I said, I can't go to Fashion Week. I didn't bring any clothes to wear. I didn't bring any And at that point they said, you're in New York, you're in Times Square, go to Bloomingdale's. And I said, where's Bloomingdale's? And they, they drew me this mud map to Bloomingdale's and, and I started running and they looked, Felicity. And I, can't, I turn around and they go, the wrong way. I was going the wrong way, completely running. Oh, my God. And then I just said, you know what, I've got to go up. Back into my room. I've got to do a nervous wee. Everything's just all crazy. So I, <laughs> I went up to my room. I ran around on my bed like pretty woman. <laughs> oh, my God. This and is so good. I got on my, my iPad and I did a Facebook post and I said, I'm going to Fashion Week. Oh, my God. So exciting. So then I composed myself, went down the stairs, came out of the elevator sorry, I'd done the elevator, came out the doors of the elevator and Colette and Melba looked at me and they're going, oh, Felicity, can you come over here? And I went, there you go. Bubbles burst. Oh, no. So I go over there and Colette pushes a invitation across the desk to me and she said, how would you like to go to two New York Fashion Week shows? And this also is when I'm going to swear because I said, now you are fucking with me. <laughs> now I need two fucking outfits. <laughs> and apparently, what happened when I raced off in my crazy kind of moment? Melba said, "How's her form? She's been in the US for two days, and she's going to Fashion Week. I'm born here, and I <laughs> Fashion Week." <laughs> and Colette said, "Well, you know what? We've had the worst day in history." I've actually got two tickets. This ticket allows you to take someone. Why don't you have this ticket and take your sister? At which Melba said, you know what? I want to take that girl. I want to take Felicity. Oh, my God. What I want to say here is there is so much emphasis and it always has been in my life about just being kind. Oh, because sometimes people are fucked, Felicity. They are. And you know what? Sometimes it's easy to get stuck in. Sometimes it feels like the bullies in life win. Sometimes it feels that way. And so to have these beautiful and to be able to share these beautiful stories where kindness really paid off. You know, I love, I fucking love that because you, and I know you, and you just deserved that moment. And how nice that the universe actually delivered on something you know and do you know I'm sitting here telling you this story and I am filled with goosebumps it still gets me this story I know you've told the story many times and you know it is such oh my god yeah it is kindness does win so then the other funny thing is so I go oh my gosh and then I tell you all those little mates of mine sitting up there as angels, were right over me because I found my way to Bloomingdale's. I walked in, two dresses, right. Oh, my gosh. 
my size perfect, done, tick, tick, found everything that I needed and had, you know, someone to go with, which was really so comforting, you know. In, oh, because it's so overwhelming. It would have been so overwhelming. so overwhelming on your own. You know, the a funny thing is, is we're in the line, so Melba and I, we're in the line and um, and this little man's racing up and down yelling out, well, unbeknownst to us, it was yelling out for us because we didn't know what name we were under. Um, anyway, all of a sudden we realised he it could have been us. So he said, oh, excuse me, you might be looking for us. And he goes, where have you been? He said, you're VIP and no one else can come in until you ladies are seated. You're like, fuck yeah, shit just got real. <laughs> we were right in the front row. Yes. Oh, and then the show starts, the first show starts, and it was men's swimwear. Yeah, even better. Oh, my God. stories. <laughs> and consequently, I went after this whole amazing day and night of New York Fashion Week shows with my new friends. I went home to my, I went to back to my fabulous New York hotel room and I blogged. I blogged for the Miller on the Move. I blogged about this show. So I have a blog called Miller on the Move and, and, and it really didn't have much in it. <laughs> I'm an old school blogger, so I'm appreciating the shit out of this. So I blogged about this whole experience. And of course, mentioned the first model that came out in his runway, uh, in his runway jocks, basically. Yeah. And I had a little bit of a, uh, you know, story about that. And of course, I was in such a moment that I wasn't really thinking of the consequences of what gets out there in a blog. Yes. But I was like a kid in a lolly shot, let me tell you. This was amazing. This was an experience. You know, I was like, Melly the Noma, what melanoma? Yeah. That was yep. so forgotten. Gone, forgotten. Anyway, so I I blog, I write this blog, and then I have this amazing time in New York, and then I toddle off to Nashville, of course, which is another super <laughs> First in boots and country music, I'm just in flick heaven. Just living your best life. Living my best life. And I get this email and it's from the designer that I mentioned who's had the model. Of yes. This is so good. The designer said to me, uh, thank you for your kind words and my model such and such, he too is quite happy with your words. <laughs> I was like, The oh. power of the written word. My God, I'm so busted. And um, he like gave me this big thank you for featuring his um, label on my blog and blah, blah, blah. And I go, oh, that's great. You're and- most welcome. <laughs> And then I continue my journey through Nashville and then I'm in Texas. And I'm in Texas and I'm in um, Fort Worth and I'm in, I can still see the room I'm in and this beautiful wooden desk with leather um, and it was all cowhide in this room. It was just an amazing Texan room. And I get an email from... 
this designer saying, your blog led me to your product. I don't Mm -hmm. think you should be blogging about New York Fashion Week. I think you should be on the runway. And I Oh, my God. Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of busy. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. So I'm I'm in this room in Fort Worth, Texas, and I get an email from a man called Gregory who says very simply, love, love, love your hats, want you on the runway, New York Fashion Week 2014, email me, ring me, Gregory. Did you play it cool and just let him, like, you know, sweat for a couple of days? <laughs> Underneath that it had producer, Fashion Gallery, New York Fashion Week. And I was like, is someone just having a land here? Is this oh one of God. those things? So what I did is I forwarded the email to my fabulous friend, Julia Morris, who I mentioned before, to my mum, to another couple of friends in Broome, and I said, is this real? I'm in a bit of a moment. Is Can someone just see if this is real? And Julia was the first one to respond. She said, I've Googled him. He's legit. It's your turn to shine, honey. God bless Google. Oh, my God. This is so good. This is such a good story. Oh, so there I am in Texas. The and you're like, fine, I'll do the fashion week, but only if I can have that hot man in his jocks. <laughs> <laughs> So then I finish my travels, I come back to Australia and I embark on the most amazing journey, which was what I thought would be just one experience at New York Fashion Week on the runway, but it actually led to three. Holy shit. Three years in a row and he has asked me back every year. I've called it at three because what a lot of people don't realise is the opportunity to showcase on the runway of New York Fashion Week is at your own expense. Yes, so okay. Yeah, I was so beautifully um, supported by my beautiful town of Broome and beautiful friends and that first year I was almost half of that journey was subsidised, well, a third of it was subsidised from from the community of Broome and my friends and my family. And the, that's the power of living in a, in a small yep. community. It Absolutely. really is. Absolutely. And they had this surprise. Oh, I could go on forever. They hosted this event in Broome, which I wasn't allowed to know about, and it was a surprise for me, but it was a retrospective fashion show of a collection of all my – they had the Kimberly Girls parading all my headwear – that I'd made over the years and all my friends had secretly got together and, and put it on these girls and they there was a runway where there was it was it was the oh most my God, that is so beautiful. No. And it was upstairs in the Mangrove Hotel. It was so good. I'll never forget it in my life. Never ever forget it in my life. And they had an auction and they raised money and it look everyone got me to to New York for that first year. And you could be forgiven for thinking that first year was just a, a one-off kind of thing that happened. Yeah. But I, I've i been invited back every year since. and I Do you still go, get invited back? Yeah, well, <laughs> it's funny, uh, since COVID's hit, no, we haven't. No, yeah, back. obviously, okay. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll, yeah, we'll let that yeah. one slide. Yeah, um, but it was 
just to be asked. So I did go back again and again. Um, I did three New York Fashion Week runway shows. The first year I was part of a collective. The second year I was a solo show and it was oh so That was amazing. And from that show there was a documentary filmed by a, an Australian filmmaker called Mad Hatton. And oh, my that God. Was really- yeah, that is an amazing story. That was just an incredible experience. And Manhattan, um, it aired on Foxtel for a few years. It's um, yeah, it's it was it's just something else that came out of this incredible opportunity. And then the final year, I was one of three other designers as well. So, and each year, also the most exciting part about this is each year a team of friends would come on the journey. And so, mates so from regional and rural and remote Australia, from cattle stations in the Kimberley, they have come with me and sat as VIPs front row at New York Fashion Week. That is so good. Oh my and god! And did you each year catch up with the concierge girls? Yeah, well, there are one of them. Only one of them I've kept in touch with with, with Melba. Yeah, and yeah. So, and she moved to Korea and then. Um, I didn't catch up with her. I kept, caught up with her the first year I went back. But that is amazing. I'm still in touch with her on Instagram. So it's really, it's great. And it's been such an incredible experience. And to have your friends over there with you just makes it that. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. It's like, I don't even have words. It is such a good story. It is amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. And that's all about saying yes. You know, you've got a, <laughs> such a big thing. I, I'm such a big believer in we're scared shitless when we're thrown these opportunities, but you just got to say yes and work it out. Yep. We call it, um, you know, my good friend Julia, we call it being a yes man. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I said yes to doing a podcast and it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to bully the shit out of you. I was like. <laughs> Um, I'm like, you've been on New York Fashion Week. You're coming on my podcast. This is nothing compared to that. <laughs> yeah, but it really is. It's about saying yes. And and that's that was a scary opportunity. Oh, my God. And, and I, you can see why people get the fear, you know yeah. what I mean, would over be overwhelming and some people would probably – somehow find situations that enables them to back out or lose it because of that fear so to say yes and show up I mean that's that's hard yep and you do you've just got to say yes and you'll just work it out and you've just got to have a go yep I'm a big one for you just got to have a go and that's incredible it's such a such a good story and it but and I that wasn't I've known that story and I haven't heard it told the way you've just told it now, which has like been so amazing to hear. I don't know, it's just I'm not rendered speechless very often, but I was captivated throughout that story. But that's not the only thing that has attracted me to you (laughs) in a non-creepy way. Um, (laughs) What uh, The other thing that I first heard about you was that you had created, because being a milliner and on Fashion Week, you know, it wasn't enough for you. You overachiever. Um, you have created uh, another business up in Broome or up in the Kimberley or up in, you know, it's not even limited to those areas called the Homestead Hub. 
And I'm not going to launch into this too much because we're going to fall short on time. But I, you've created a business which is so something that I am all about and it's creating almost like a hub and a directory of different businesses. So you're supporting, you're now, you're still a milliner and you're, but you also have this other business where you're trying to bring together um, the businesses of the rural communities. I'm on there now. I'll be on there soon when my listing goes up. You're bringing together all these businesses in the community and trying to build something that gives back as well. And I, that was another thing. Um, I think I actually, that's the first time I encountered you. And then someone said, Oh no, Felicity, she's got this whole other big story behind her. This is, that's just, that's the latest thing. So do you want to just really quickly tell everyone about the Homestead Hub? (laughs) I would love to. Thank you. Um, Yeah. Well, the Homestead Hub, it's an online platform that connects rural and regional Australia to, to businesses that genuinely understand their their needs you know I think it it came from the problem was the overwhelm that a lot of people experience when they're searching the internet to try and just find something simple and they end up you know on this whole down this whole rabbit hole and they can't find what they're looking for and they get frustrated and they slap down the lid of the computer and they ring me and they say, can you give me the link? Can you send me the name? Can you give me the phone number? Can you mm-hmm. tell me? So all my life I've kind of, and because I've created this amazing network of friends from around mm. the country on that journey um, from rural and regional Australia, I have been a bit of a go-to person, which mm, I've some loved. Some might say a mover and a shaker. There I said it. <laughs> <laughs> And a, a, a link, you know, I love linking. Pe- oh my god, you've got that business. I know it's that person who. Oh was my with- god, you and, speak my language. This is why I connect with you because I'm like everything you're saying. I'm like yes, 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 yes. This is me too. I know. And if I, if you can be part of enabling a collaboration, that's just like the biggest joy ever. So I I just do you know it happened during COVID, and mm. I actually wonder if I would have developed the Homestead Hub if it wasn't for COVID. Well, there you go. Yeah. When when COVID hit, um, as it did for the majority of us, it sent us into this complete spin because all of a sudden there is no income. Yes. But we've still got big mortgages. I've still got three New York Fashion Week loans. (laughs) (laughs) Which you'll be paying off until you were dead. But, God, it was fun. (laughs) You know what? I have been gunning them for ever since the time and I've been living quite frugally, but let me tell you, they are but six months away. I will be <laughs> from those debts, but, of course, the yeah, the, the story lives on. And who, who wouldn't have done it, you know? It's oh, like, yeah. How could you not? How could you not? Yeah. Do not regret for one moment taking on those debts and for, you know, living the life. But anyway... Back to back to good old COVID. So COVID took pretty much everything from me because I've got a little um, Airbnb. Of course, no one could come to Broome. We had a big biosecurity border slapped around us. I had a um, millinery business. Of course, every race meeting in the country was cancelled. Weddings were cancelled. I wasn't making any, like there was there was no business. And yeah. I also did a bit of business development or project development with people, but all projects stopped. 
everything stopped. Yeah. And I was kind of, it was a really weird space to be in, um, which I'm sure is the case for a lot of people. Mm. So, you, know, I, you couldn't sleep because there was the fear. There was yeah. Very real I remember sleep. it well. I don't think any of us will ever forget that feeling. Never. And I was determined. I was determined. I, I just, I knew I had something else in me. I knew I had another something in me and I was determined to develop something that would be would would survive a pandemic because you know perhaps this won't be the last one either Mm. and it really made us realize and I I searched so hard within myself to find what it was that I needed to yeah to, to develop to get out of this but long story short when it's when it came when the idea for the homestead hub came to me it spewed out of me and I couldn't stop it I had a butcher's piece of butcher's paper which I still have to this day and I had colored textures and I was at my kitchen bench and it came out so beautifully and so organized and it made so much sense and I just kind of looked at it and and I just went, that that's it. That's yep. that's the business. And I spent the whole of that isolated time that we experienced with COVID, I just rang people who were possible suppliers and yep. possible customers. And I just interviewed everyone throughout of COVID. And that from that, from those interviews and from this butcher's paper, I spent COVID writing a business plan for the Homestead Hub. So when, you know, we came out of isolation, um, the first people I saw was Regional Development Australia and the second people I saw was Kimberley Development Commission and the third people I saw was the Broome Chamber of Commerce. I just went and presented. As soon as we, we were able to see people, I was out there and I was just making this happen. And, of course, you know, to build a platform like the Homestead Hub was a big cost. And when when the government gave us the opportunity to delve into our own super, I took that opportunity and that's how I built the Homestead Hub. That's so, so, so good. And that's, I think, what that opportunity was created for. not to go and buy a new car like everybody did um (laughs) but that yeah and I love it well your concept is so similar to something Christy and I way back when used to talk about what a good idea it would be to have this place but what I love is that what you said before people get frustrated because they're searching and they don't know you know which one to go for or what to search for and people don't know who to trust and it's like you need to be recommended you know, you're not just going to go to any old hairdresser, you need to be recommended. You're not going to go to any old doctor, you need to be recommended. You know, there's certain things in life and it's becoming more and more and more. And what I have learned from my time up in the Kimberley and in Broome, which I love, oh my gosh, I love so much. And I love the people I meet up there. And it's a big part of why I've started this podcast. But what I've learned is, especially with rural and remote communities, People really connect with that 
authenticity and and the trust and the actual building and I'm a huge fan of this as you are the building of connections and relationships the superficial surface level kind of crap I guess that goes on a lot I see it in Perth a lot that doesn't fly up there people want real the real deal they want to know who they're working with and they appreciate it when you get when they get good service or what they need and their needs met. So I think you've found a space that delivers that to people living rurally and remotely. And I'm really glad that I can be a part of that because in my mentoring, my business mentoring business, I I don't want to play favorites, but those living rurally and remotely, I just connect with, I mean, I guess because I'm a farm girl from a sheep farm, same as you, but it really feeds my country soul connecting with those business owners. So I am here for it. And Felicity, I'm going to pop in the show notes a link to the Homestead Hub for everybody listening so they can check it out. If you've got a business, you might want to sign up. I've signed up. and uh, You might want to just look for somebody that you want to work with and support another um, business that is perhaps rural and remote. I know that that's another thing that comes with living in the country, which is a gift. And um, I will also pop in the show notes a link to um, Hats by Felicity because she's still the best milliner in town. Mm. Um, But, yeah, thank you so, so much for sharing both of those stories. I feel like I could literally talk to you for days. We might have to book that. <laughs> yes. Cocktail. And I've got good news. I'm coming back to Broome in two weeks. Oh, fantastic. Well, then the cocktails are flowing. We're on. Yes. We're gonna- so once I've hung up, we will talk about that. But um, thank you so much for listening. Your story is amazing. I love that it, you know, it, it's a lesson on kindness. Um, it's a lesson on resilience. It's a lesson on just you know, I think what you said at the start as well about getting to know yourself because so many of us don't take the time to do that and you've really stayed true to yourself and it's, yeah, you've got an amazing story and thank you so much for sharing it. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share it. Thank you, Elsa. Thank you for listening to the Bossy Bitch Podcast. I am Elsa Mitchell and you can find me at elsamitchell.com.au or if you'd like to meet my friends, please head on over to Facebook and I invite you to join our free group, Bossy Bitch. Bossy Bitch.